Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Well, everyone, welcome to the Launch University Podcast. This is Kevin And I have the pleasure today of being here with Laura Whitaker. She is the Executive Director of Extra Special People, or ESP. It's an organization that's serving children and young adults with developmental disabilities and their families. Now, there's a lot we can all learn from Laura. Uh, At 19 years old, she stepped into the role of Executive Director after the sudden passing of the organization's founder. But she still holds that position today, 13 years later. So... The best part about it is the organization has grown uh, dramatically under her leadership. And a big part of what we talk about here on Launch University is not just turning good intentions into reality, but how do we sustain them? And uh, as a launcher myself, as an entrepreneur myself, when I had an opportunity to talk to Laura, I got really excited because I'm like 13 years doing anything requires a lot of evolution. Uh, It happens personally, professionally, and let's be honest, most of us who are here who listen to this podcast right now, when we love good ideas, and sometimes those ideas can be shiny objects that distract us and pull us away from our purpose, our mission, our direction, and so to me, the sustaining part of what Laura has done just immediately jumped off the page as I was reading through what she does. And I'm excited to talk to her today. So Laura, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I want to just jump right at that starting point because I do feel like 18 years old. I, I mean, I, I remember how ambitious I, I was at 18. I remember how excited I was. We're, on the same, we're actually around the same age. And I'm, I'm probably thinking, okay, yes, I had a vision. But if anyone had handed me the keys to an organization at 19 years old, God forbid what would happen. I just cannot imagine what would happen to those individuals who trusted me. And so a part of me is wondering that even that process, because I mean, was that something where you volunteer? Is that something where the board says, you know what, we need to talk to Laura? How does that even happen to be given that role at 19 years old? That's a great question. So um, the quick version of it is, is basically the founder and I had gotten pretty close. I uh, helped on the leadership team the summer camp before, and they're really honest to God. There was no other option other than me, which has worked out really great for me. Um, The founder's husband and daughter met with me at their kitchen table and um, said, you know, we um, will pay you $10 an hour one day, um, but right now we have a $50,000 deficit. We need to plan camp. This was January of 2005. So if you want to try it, go for it. And um, so I just, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. My parents at the time would probably say I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but you know, I, I often say sometimes you choose your job and other times it chooses you. And in my case, it definitely chose me. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. So it was a whirlwind. I had to raise $50,000, hire 25 staff, many of them older than me, plan camp, didn't have a board of directors. And so it was, it was a whirlwind. But you know, when you're 19, I think you think you can change the world, you can do anything. And in my case, that really worked for me. Um, That faith side of things really worked in my benefit. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to make sure I understand. So in this situation, 
your first task is to raise $50,000. That was my first task. <laughs> yes, that was my first task. And um, and it was really so we could open our doors in June wow. and welcome about 60 kids to camp. And um, so I went to anyone like any entrepreneur would do. I started telling my story and um, started sharing about this magical place called ESP. And people started listening and they um, started opening their wallets and wrote grants for the first time. And looked at QuickBooks spreadsheets for the first time and learned what a PL was and learned what a balance sheet was. And man, it was, you know, when I think back about that time, I'm so thankful more about what I didn't know than what I knew. Hmm. Um, because I think if I knew the journey of the next 10 years, I think I would have shied away from it. So wow. I'm so thankful I didn't know yeah. um, what was ahead. Wow. Okay. So that, that one of the questions I wrote down for myself was, okay, so are you a sophomore in college at this point or a freshman? I was a sophomore. Okay. So you're a sophomore in college yep. and you are, a, clearly you're still a full-time student. That's right. And this is January. So this is the start of the spring semester. That's right. And you're raising $50,000 during the school year because mm-hmm. obviously June would come too soon to do it between, you know, the end of school and May and that month. And so my question is even like, okay, was the major already selected by this point? Were you already? Because I mean, for those who don't know, you majored in. Um, I wrote it down. It's, it's uh, in special education. In spe- yes. Yeah, special education. So, so in my mind thinking, okay, was this major something you chose to help you become more equipped for the role, or no? You went into school knowing you wanted to study this. You know, I I went into school thinking I wanted to be a teacher. Hmm. I had an experience in high school where I ended up in a special education classroom that really shaped kind of my perspective on people with special needs. Wow. And um, and that in itself is, a, is an interesting story. But that really launched me into looking into a career with special education. And I have to say, I would have been a terrible special ed teacher. So I'm thankful <laughs> that I was saved out of that. Yeah. I did end up finishing my undergraduate and later my graduate degree in um, an autism research grant. But yes, I, I already had chosen and declared that major. And I'm thankful because it surrounded me around people that believed in our mission yeah, and that helped support me. So my friends who I was in a cohort with for special education ended up being the employees that I hired. So wow. I was their boss. The wow. people that were in my cohort, I was their summer camp boss. Wow. So, And I was, I was curious. I'm like, man, when, you know, when a job finds you that early, do you just start going on this path of, okay, I, I'm in so far over my head. I'm just going to start acquiring as much knowledge as I can along the way. Um, so that was one thing I was curious Absolutely. about. Absolutely. I did read any nonprofit management book, article, whatever that I could at that time, um, trying to soak in as much information as possible. My parents were a tremendous asset during that time. They served on boards of directors growing up. And so volunteering was always a way of life in our family. And that's how I got involved with ESP was I was like, I I need to find a place when I went to college to volunteer with. That's what we did as a family. And so um, my parents really helped me understand what a board looked like, what a successful mission would look like and really kind of mentored me through the first couple years. So out of curiosity, when you're thrown into a situation like that, I mean, I'm some, it's kind of twofold the question I'm asking right now. And that's one, what did you do when it came to like, okay, I'm new in this role. I know I have to go do these things. This is the first thing I'm going to go intentionally learn how to do to improve in this role because I don't know what I'm doing. And then if you could go back and do it again, what would have been the thing you decided mm-hmm. to do differently, which might say, hey, I'm, I'm 19, I'm just in this role. Step one, I'm going to do go do this instead of what I did do, or, or, or even a different way about it, just out of curiosity. 
So I'll start with what I would have done differently. And what I would have done differently, I think, is um, I was so concerned, probably as any 19-year-old would be, about what my peers thought of me. And um, there were people in the organization that had been there longer than I had. Yeah. I had built this rapport with the founder who had passed away. And so I was almost put in this position, one, because no one else stepped up, yeah. but two, um, because I was given that opportunity. And I think I was so, for for several years, I was so consumed with being a likable leader. Hmm. Yes. Because I was so young that I often made decisions that were best for the popular vote, but not necessarily best for the organization. Wow. And what I be- mean by that is, you know, there were, I was given three sticky notes when I took over ESB. There was no donor database. There was no, there was nothing in a computer. There was no um, handbook. And so it took me a couple years to really, I knew in my gut what was right, what, staff needed to be trained on, new policies and procedures that I needed to implement. But oftentimes I would care too much as a young leader about, you know, the likability factor as opposed to really doing what was right for the organization. So, um, so I think that's what I did wrong and finding some other young leaders, it, that didn't happen until about five years after I would have done that sooner because those were people in the for-profit business in Athens, Georgia, that were building businesses around me that were dealing with the same challenges I was. Yeah. And um, so they really carried me up and helped me to see, um, be secure in my position. And I really needed that a lot sooner. So in terms of what I felt like, there, there's really kind of two things that stick out to me when I took hold of this position so organization by trade is not my thing. Um, I'm not an operational person. I'm wow. a builder. I'm a dreamer. I'm yeah. a visionary. Um, I'm extremely creative. And so when it comes to the things that I prefer to do, I prefer to be up in the clouds. I prefer to be in the 10,000 foot view. But what it called for me to do at the time was to dive deep and yeah. to be operational and to think through spreadsheets and to think through grants and to think through um, policies and procedures and to think through how to revamp some things. And so bylaws, things like that, that are not super fun to me. And that's not how my brain works. I've learned to surround myself with people that are really great in those areas. And that makes me look better as a leader. (laughs) Um, But at the time, it was just me. And it was just me not getting a paycheck. So I didn't have anybody else to lean on. So I would say that that's one way I, I dove deep where we had the biggest need and our biggest need at that time was, um, was organizational development. Hmm. So I think that's one thing that I did. And then the second thing is I was on repeat in terms of telling our story. I told the same story hundreds of times a week. Wow. And I think we forget oftentimes when we're starting things or when we're taking them over that people aren't thinking about our organizations like we are. Yeah. And um, and I felt like a broken record where I was just telling the story over and over and over again. These kids deserve camp. These kids deserve camp. These kids deserve camp. And people began to listen. And not only did people begin to listen, but they started getting involved and it became um, magnetic. And so I think not being afraid to share our mission over and over and over again or our story over and over and over again until people 
really don't have a choice but to listen. And so I think those are the two things that I probably did right. And there was a lot of things I could have done better for sure. No, that, well, that's incredible because um, right before uh, you and I got connected here today, um, I was talking to Brittany Toms of C Spark Go and she was like, you know what? Like Laura's out there and she has this crazy vision and she has like, she's reinventing what camp looks like for, you know, and, and she has Georgia Tech and these companies come to work and orchestra's working together to do all this great work. And I was like, now I hear you tell that story. I'm like, well, that makes sense. You know, like as a visionary, that's the one thing you know you're naturally, well, you are naturally great at, and it's communicating that vision over and over again. And for some people, that sounds like a salesperson, right? But right. for you, you're like, no, this is this is me as a leader, how I help move things along as I'm helping everyone see what's possible. That's and right. then we all come around it together, figuring out how we can make it happen. That's right. Um, and that's convicting for me, because I definitely feel like sometimes I've spent energy trying to become qualified for the mm. idea that I have. And what that leads to over time is that you actually have done research on your own. So you actually stop casting vision out loud. That's right. Because you might have felt you already developed a, a roadmap there. That's right. And that, you know, and so that's, that's right. Yes, that's really convicting for me. That's so true. And, you know, sometimes you just have to start saying things out loud. Mm-hmm. And, and it's humbling because sometimes you say the wrong things out loud and you end up not doing them. And then people are like, <laughs> wait a second, I thought we were down this road and now you're down this road, Laura. But if we don't say them out loud, oftentimes, like you said, we see obstacle instead of opportunity. Hmm. And um, so my middle name is Hope. And that's been something that's kind of carried me through this path. And I'm very thankful that that's a part of my name because it kind of makes me that way. But I often say like, you know, as leaders, regardless of, you know, if you're in technology, if you're in sales, if you're in food, if you're a franchise or whatever you are, nonprofit, as a leader, we're hope dealers and I love that. constantly reminding people what they're there for. Yes. And, um, and I think, you know, being thrown as director at 19, I had no choice but to deal hope at that point because wow. we were at the bottom. Yes. And I think what it did is it built the momentum in terms of leadership for me moving forward to remember that I've got to be the hope dealer every day when I walk into Come work. On. It's great. I've got to remind my staff, my full-time staff that I have now, why they're there and why everyone wants to be a part of something greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. And whether they're a donor or a volunteer or a family or a child that's participating in the program or our staff. And so, yes, I think a lot of times we have to cast that vision and not be quite sure that it's going to work out and be okay to fail at something. But what I've found is the more you cast it and the more you believe it and the more you have passion behind it, other people are so attracted to passion and so attracted to vision and they want to be a part of something that's successful. Man, that's so good. Okay. There's so much there. One of the things (laughs) you, one of the things you said earlier about your story that really stuck out to me as well was you said, okay, I, the lackability factor as a leader held me back as a leader. Yeah. Um, now, out of curiosity, was it as simple as getting that community to say, okay, I, I have my people now, so I don't need, I don't need my team to be my peers anymore because I have found my own peer group and that just did it for you? Or was it something deeper to unpack when it came to getting past the day-to-day thoughts and opinions of your team to be able to lead them well. I'm just curious because I, I think a lot of people who are being thrust into a new role, let's say if you're, even if you're within an organization right now, you just got a promotion 
And once upon a time, you were shoulder to shoulder with the sales team. Now you're the sales manager. Yeah. You used to be shoulder to shoulder with whatever team you're on. Now you're the leader of that team where you got promoted. And there, I know there's this natural awkwardness that comes from, yeah. it used to be us versus them. Yeah. Now you are, now you are the them. Yeah. But I'm curious to hear how you overcame that. And if it was as simple as just getting community outside of the team. I think it was both internal and external. Um, you know, my very first experience with the founder that summer that I worked with her, she gave me a letter and handed it to me and said, um, on a Friday and said, don't read this until you get home. And this was in the middle of summer camp. And, um, so of course I'm not a rule follower. So I read it as soon as I got in the car (laughs) and, um, she had shared all of the abilities that she saw in me and then told me that she was promoting me to a unit leader for the summer. Wow. And what I didn't know, and I found out on Monday, was that she was demoting the girl that was above me and promoting me. Wow. And so to your point, I mean, from my very first summer at ESP, I kind of had this interesting dynamic where really on paper or in terms of time or hours or age, you know, it shouldn't have been me. It never should have been me. Wow. Um, but for some reason, I was put in that position. And um, and I really had to learn, yes, it was putting people around me. Part of it is my incredible husband. Um, you know, he, that's another long story, but he's seven years older than I am. I prayed for a husband at a very early age. I was so embarrassed because none of my friends wanted to get married until they were 30. And I was here, I was a 19 year old and, and really wanted a confidant. And he kind of came into my life on blind date. Somebody else set us up. Um, so he really helped instill some of that security in me, but I do think it was more internal than anything else. Um, being a supervisor or managing people is, is, has been, and will be forever the hardest thing that I've ever done. Wow. Um, it takes time. It takes heart. It's often like parenting. You and I were talking before we started that, you know, what it takes to parent and mm-hmm. how exhausting but exhilarating it is to be a parent. It's the same thing when you're managing people. Yeah. And um, and I made a lot of mistakes. And I would say there in the beginning, um, that likability factor, I think I learned at that point and what helped me tra- make the transition was really figuring out how to be secure in who I was mm-hmm. and what the organization was. So someone once said to me, Laura, you've got to care for and look at the organization almost as a person. Hmm. And you've got to value that person over anything, any other person that's in the organization. So that person is the most important. So when you make decisions, that person's values supersede any other person's values. Wow. And so when I started looking at ESP as the most important person, I began to realize that the other people in the organization didn't have the view that I had. And I had to start making decisions that was best for that organ for that person. Yeah. And um, and then I started realizing like, oh, I'm the one with the ten thousand foot view, not them. So they don't quite understand everything. Yes. And then I started saying as a manager, and this was one of the most freeing moments for me. One of my mentors once said, Laura, your job as a manager is to prioritize other people's tasks. Wow. And so once I started realizing that, okay, I'm I'm the priority giver, that gave me the freedom to go into a meeting with a staff member and say, you know what? 
I know you're really focused on this and I know this is really important to you. Yeah. But when I look at the ESP as a person and as the organization, ESP needs you to prioritize this Yes. or to make this happen or to change this in your work habits. And that was really freeing for me. It didn't make it about me or the person. It made it about the organization. Yes. So that's really good. And, and once again, I'm, I'm not, you know, one of the things that I thought about before we started to sign up for the interview was, okay, Laura's seen a lot. And I don't even know all things we can all, there's no, we're going to get all of your insight in 30 minutes. Um, but one of the things that hit me was like, you know what it's like to step into leadership in a really unique way. And so to me, that's really powerful. So, so far, I'm going to recap for those who are listening. Leaders, it's our job to be hope dealers. It's our mm. job to be priority givers. Those two things I've already, already kind of cataloged in my head. And the other thing that really hit me was the uh, the idea of us viewing our organization as a person with its own unique set of needs. And I think, first of all, I think that's liberating for me because if you are a dreamer, your your ideas and the problems you want to solve are often very personal. That's right. Um, and what that can lead to sometimes is you seeing your work as your identity. That's right. And the minute you say my organization is a different person, you're able to say, I am not the organization either. That's right. My unique needs, my unique values aren't the same as the organization. And I'm okay with separating who I am from who the organization is and needs to become. And I think that's pretty cool too. And it gives you freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Like it gives you freedom in your personal life to say like, okay, if you're, if you're, you know, dating somebody or you have children, it's like, okay, so ESP is one of my children, but do I want ESP to be my most important child? No, I have three other children at home or I have a husband. And so it gives you freedom and it gives you freedom to make decisions that may not be popular in the office Mm -hmm. or may not be popular with your colleagues, because you know what? It's not you. It's about that person and valuing your organization, that person more than anybody else in the office. And it's hard to argue with that. Oh, for sure. I mean, obviously, for those who are listening, I'm sure you can already pick up on this. Laura is a great leader. And so we've all had bad bosses, bad leaders who turn, who, who do not prioritize the organization in this way. And so this kind of power, as we all know, can be abused if, if, if someone doesn't have this perspective um, because they don't have the ability at that moment in time maybe to separate their own desires and needs from that of the organization. But you hit on something that I, I wrote down a while ago, and I told you this before we started recording. You do have three children, and mm-hmm. you do have a husband. Now, were you and Joseph, right? Yes. Were you two already married or, or dating when you took over the organization? So we were already dating, okay. yes. Um, we didn't get married until a year and a half after, but he has been a part of this journey all the way. Okay, so with that being said, right, so here you are in, a, in you know dating a, a gentleman who you want to marry and mm-hmm. feel strongly about. Once again, you're, you're a sophomore in college. You're taking over an organization that has a $50,000 deficit, and you still have like, you know, once again, you have a full load of classes. Your parents are like, hey, we don't care about this thing as much as you get in your good grades. So, right. so, so, Hey, have, have fun with your hobby. That's right. As long as it doesn't distract you from your schoolwork. That's right. And on top of that, you hopefully to some degree want to have some bit of a social life to hang out with anybody you, you've met through school. Right. So you have these, this in the backdrop, but as a father who, who has a two year old daughter, my first child, and then, and is also starting my own business and grow, trying to grow that while also being a marketing director at a nonprofit in Atlanta, there's reality that parenthood just redefines your world. And we can talk about all that in another podcast, right? But the reality I'm thinking is 
to do this under the backdrop of becoming a mom and starting your own family, to me, I'm, I personally, I'm, you know, can think about the way to that and probably cry on your behalf. Oh, yeah. Because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just sound, I just, that feels like a lot to me. And so, how have you gotten it all done? Um, you know, what are some of the things you, because I feel like there are a lot of people who, who might be listening to this podcast who they stuff really intense professional aspirations. Yeah. but they love their family as well. And they, and they have an idea and a vision for their home life. And so how have you done that? How has it changed over time? What have you, what things have you learned that have worked better for you? You know, any, I mean, just any insight in that particular regard of the balance yeah. of, of trying to be fully present when you show up at home and you're, you've been making decisions all day. I mean, yeah. like, you, it's like, it's like yeah. I'm just, I'm just decisioned out. You know? That's actually really funny because we always joke at, at my house, like, I'm not the boss. I'm not the <laughs> boss. And so my husband, like, I, you know, I have decision fatigue by the time I get home. And yes. I don't want to make a decision yes. about what we're eating for dinner. I don't want to make a decision about what my children wear. Yes. I'm just decisioned out by that point. You know, well, I'll start by saying I haven't always done this well, and mm-hmm. I still don't think I do it super well. I think it's a day-to-day decision to really balance things. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a really great mom and other times I feel like I'm a really great boss. And oftentimes those two, those two things conflict with one another, but I will say, you know, I'll give a couple practicals. Um, and I'll say too, I think faith has been a tremendous part of my journey and, um, you know, we all have, have different faiths, but for me, that has been, um, the roots that have kept me grounded, whether it's having my own time. Um, I do a lot of prayer walks. I do a lot of reading. I wake up every day at 530 in the morning and I read and I exercise. So those kind of things keep me grounded and um, have for you know the 13 years that I've been here. The second is that my husband is just as much bought in, if not more, to what I'm doing than um, than I am. That's awesome. And there have been times where I have wanted to quit. I mean, I think you and I talked. It, this has been a messy 13 years. Yeah. It hasn't been all shiny, and it's been more messy than it has been shiny. And there have been moments, very specific moments, where I remember coming home and saying, that's it for me. You know, I, I just want to go get a teaching job. I just want a nine to five. Yeah. And Joseph would look at me and say, no, you were made for this. Wow. And so in moments that were probably really difficult for him to say that and to muster out that kind of strength, he was my checks and balances in helping push me forward. And, um, and it really has been a calling, but for both of us. So we're on the same page there. The third in terms of motherhood, again, I feel like um, I was really thrust into motherhood. He was a, we were only married 11 months when we got pregnant with Owen. He was a surprise. And, um, And so I really feel like I wouldn't have become a mom if it weren't forced on me. Wow. And I'm so thankful for that yes. because here I am, you know, I chose the next two children, obviously, and love my identity as a mom and um, can't imagine my life without it. But I think I would have gotten so focused on building ESP that I would have kind of kept putting motherhood off. And so I'm so thankful that it entered into my life when it did. So all of that to say a couple practicals. Um you know, I'm, I'm big on mindset mastery and kind of intellectual um, humility when it comes to emotional, your emotional capacity. And I, I recognize that everybody has different capacities. Yes. 
And that's also been liberating as a leader because I think I expect other people to have the same capacity I do. I get up at 5.30. I am I can work until 11.30 and then go to sleep and do it all again the next day over and over and over again. The older I get and the more children I get, the less capacity I have, right? But especially as a you know 25-year-old, I could work you know, 70 hours a week and still be fine. Yeah. Um, but there's one thing that's really helped me other than kind of the balance of faith and exercise and a great marriage and great friends. Mentorship, I would say, is a big part of that. But also when it comes to balance of family and life, this was one practical, I feel like helps me every single day. And it's a little nugget that I love to give people, particularly moms. Um, but it, it works for dads too. So in my neighborhood, you know, we all have our commute home. For me, it's seven minutes. I recognize that most people in Atlanta (laughs) have that hour and a half commute, but I love my seven minute commute. So on my way home, you know, I'm listening to music or even if kids are in my car, whatever, there is one house in my neighborhood and there's one mailbox in my neighborhood that I unpack my day into. And it's a mental practice that I have just, I do without even thinking about it. And it took a long time. So I drive into my neighborhood. It's the fourth house on the right. It's a brick house. I unload all my junk into that poor little mailbox mentally and leave it there. And I go home and I focus on my family. And then when I come back out that next morning and go to work, I unpack all of that back into my brain when I pass that house again. Wow. And it's almost, you know, we all kind of have those little mm-hmm. mental games that we play, but it's almost a um, a way for me to check out and check in. And mm-hmm. do I get emails and phone calls and Facebook messages and all of that? Yes. But if I can unload the emotional side of my work into that mailbox yes. mentally, then um, and that poor, you know, I always think like, I wonder one day if I'm going to tell my neighbor that I unload all of my junk in their mailbox mentally. <laughs> you know, it's just a mental practice, yeah. and it's something that's silly, but it really triggers me mm-hmm. every time I see that mailbox. It's a reminder. Yes, Laura, your job now is to be a mom and a wife. Yeah. Not to be the boss, not to be um, the leader, not to be the visionary. Come on. It's just to be the mom and the wife. And yeah. so it helps me transition those roles. That's powerful. For, I mean, for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously, for those who are new to the podcast, we have done an episode earlier this year um, where we talk about the value of rituals over resolutions. And um, and I think this is a really powerful example of how high-performing people like Laura um, and our other guests do this because that's something I've never tried to do, but I, I'm already like, okay, I'm going to start trying that. Like, can I try to create a mental marker up and up and down this, this strip where I can give certain things away? Um, because I definitely feel like that is a tough part. And if I can, you know, in 100% transparency, we spend so many hours at work yeah. refining our hope dealing priority giver yeah. or priority giving uh, skills and traits that when you get home, it's very easy, especially in the role of a mom to say, all right, kids, here's your role. Husband, here's your role. And you turn into the boss, That's so you true. know, and you look up and like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. I've completely like, t- I put on my leader hat and I'm like t- giving out tasks. I'm delegating like crazy, but it runs again, but I can, I can create a role for myself within my own family that separates me from them. Yes. And unintentionally, of course, right? I mean, I feel like as a strategist, uh, which is what my primary do in marketing, is my job to intentionally try to think about all the routes 
they get us from one place to another so clients can make a decision on what's best for them. And we have a wife, and you go home, she tells you about her problem or her day at work. She wants you to listen, not fix it. And I'm like, but this is what I do for a living. I That's fix right. stuff. Like, you give me this thing. That's right. And I'm going to come with 30 options for you to choose from. Don't you just, you just, honey, put your feet up. I got you covered. I got it. Yeah. And of course, she's looking like, no, stop it right just now. Listen. Just listen to me. Yes. And I'm like, oh, but. Oh. Yeah. This is my skill. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. And it, you know, those little small. The other th- silly thing that I do sometimes is I wear my wedding ring on my right hand during the day, and then I switch mm. it to my left hand, the hand it's supposed to be on when I'm at home. Mm. And I know that sounds so silly, no. but it's like a visible reminder to me when yes. I'm at work, like. That's you know I'm I'm not being the wife and I'm mm-hmm. not being the mom, and that helps too. Sometimes wow. I want to mother my mm-hmm. employees as well. Yes, um, and I'm not their mom, you know, and so that's a good reminder to me. And then when I'm wow. home and I switch my ring back on my finger, it's like okay, um, I still am who I am, mm-hmm. but we all have different roles that we play. And um, reminding ourselves of what those roles are, I think, are really important, particularly for me who's a boss. Going home to my husband, I've made plenty of mistakes in that way, but I want to be loving and respectful to him as well. And I really like that he's the leader of our family. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I guess as a parting advice, I think more than just parting words, which I would love for you to do as well, I would love to hear some parting resources. I mean, clearly you're a learner. I think um, for those who spend some time um, getting to, to, to know Laura, and obviously even if you just read the show notes, we're going to have her bio there a little bit as well. I mean, she's a learner. I mean, you know, bachelor's, master's, really taking the opportunity to get certificates and you know, certifications and grant writing to make sure you could do your job with excellence. What are some of the resources that have helped you, I would say, as both a person who has to continually create new things? So one thing we didn't touch on that I had written down initially was you've launched a lot of new initiatives over the 13 years. And to me, constantly launching new and being a trailblazer within your organization, even if you're the leader, at least a lot of battle scars because people are resistant against change, which means it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just so tired of fighting the people who I know care about this too, to do the very thing we're called to do at this place. It's like, I'm fighting harder to do my job than I would be if I just threw my hands up and just let it coast, which is sometimes I, it feels very oxymoronic if you say it out loud. It feels very dumb. It does. Um, but with that being said, what are some of the resources that have helped you? You talk about mind mastery. So like just some things you say, hey, this is something I've read or, or, or a book or a video or a documentary, something I go to that really influenced my thinking and helped me along the way. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question for me because like you said, I, I'm a learner and so I've read hundreds of books sure. and attended hundreds of conferences. I guess that would be it. Um, one of the things that I love to do is talk about what I'm learning and I feel like other leaders, so I surround myself with really amazing leaders that call me higher. Mentorship has been a part of my journey the whole way. Finding one or two people that are willing to give me their time and their resources to call me higher. Um, So I think that it's really funny. There's an orange book sitting here right next to us, and that's actually my favorite book. So I will have to say The Happiness Advantage. Um, And the whole concept behind The Happiness Advantage, and there's a TED Talk on it as well, has to do, you know, it's like the the psychologist at Harvard that studied students, and, and basically that happiness is an advantage in business. Wow. And it's all for profit businesses, and it talks about what that, what, how to measure 
happiness. Um, but it's, it is an inspiring book and it's transformed the culture at ESP. We have a thing called give five, take five and give five, take five is you have, you could have permission to take five minutes whenever you need it. Like go get a refresher, all of that. But give five is if I come up to you and I say, give me five, you've got to say five things you appreciate about that moment. Hmm. And it is this culture of gratitude and um, learning to train your mind to appreciate the things in this room that you love and the moments that you love of who you're with and what you love about them. And um, so I would say that's probably been the most transformative book within our organization. But again, reading, listening to podcasts, anytime I'm in the car, I'm listening to something and that's really shaped who I am. I'm a different person than I was 13 years ago because of the resources that have been put around me and the people that I've surrounded myself with. That is so good. Well, the happiness advantage on my book list now, Put and it on there. I'm officially stealing the give me five. Like, Do it. Oh, I'm stealing that. Do oh, it. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I will give you credit though. Cause I, cause I, cause that is, that is I don't so, need the credit. Just take so it. so good. It's good. Man, that's so good. Okay. Well, any parting words for anyone who's listening, um, just something you might want to, that you wish that someone had maybe shared with you earlier in your journey. So one of the cool things about ESP and my job is that ESP is a place that celebrates ability hmm. instead of disability. And I think oftentimes as a world, um, you know, when we're children, we don't see disability, we don't see black, we don't see white, we don't see challenge. And one of my favorite moments of my entire life was going to pick up my son from from school and I overheard him talking to his friend and his friend said, um, my mom's a doctor, what does your mom do for a living? And Owen said, um, he was four or five at the time and he said, my mom works at ESP. It's like, if you're really cool, you get to be in a wheelchair and you go to ESP. And his perspective on it is that if you're cool, you get to be in a wheelchair. (laughs) Wow. And, you know, over the course of time, something happens as we grow and we begin to look at ourselves and see the inabilities in ourselves. We begin to look at other people. We begin Mm -hmm. to look at the the organizations around us and we're Mm -hmm. constantly complaining about you know, the line not being fast enough or whatever. And I think what I've learned at ESP in my life, um, in my journey as a leader, as an entrepreneur is I've got to focus on the strengths. Hmm. I've got to focus on the abilities. And um, as leaders, we have to focus on our strengths and let our strengths grow and, and magnify our strengths in order for those around us to follow us. And then as leaders, we need to let our people magnify their strengths, put them in the seat that fits their strengths the best. And as parents, we need to magnify our children's strengths. And so I guess that would be to to focus on your strength today, to focus Mm -hmm. on the strength of the people around you and really um, empower the people around you to have hope and to see their strengths and abilities for what they are. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, so if people want to learn more about extra special people um, and about the work you all are doing where can they go? They can go to our website, extraspecialpeople.com. And we have a Facebook and an Instagram as well. And then I also have a personal blog and I blog about leadership and different things that happen at ESP. And that is hopesweethome.com. That's perfect. Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. Awesome. Well, hey, if you have enjoyed this conversation, we would love for you to one, um, subscribe to the podcast. We are sitting down with amazing people like Laura every week to make sure you have an opportunity to grow on the go. We understand that 
it's really hard to find time. And so if you're in a car, if you're in the carpool line, working out, doing yard work, this is an opportunity we want to help you leverage. Second of all, you can so um, you can also visit the show notes. If you go to launchuniversity.com, that's Y-O-U and the university.com, you have the opportunity to get summaries of this podcast. We'll link to the happiness advantage. We'll make sure that we've done the hard work on our end. So you have a great summary of how this show went. So you can kind of reference an idea that Laura shared with us. The third thing we'd love for you to do is we love you to leave a rating or review on um, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Uh, the main reason is because that's the main place people go to discover podcasts, and we'd love for people to see your feedback there. Now, be honest. We're not trying to force you to say something positive, but your parents did say, if you have nothing positive to say, say nothing, but, we'll, <laughs> but we won't hold you to that this time because feedback is your friend, and we want to make sure we grow from what you have to share with us. The last thing, something brand new, we are actually taking your questions we're answering them on podcasts in the future. When we have guests, when the team's together, we're taking those questions. So if you go to launchuniversity.com forward slash question, we have multiple ways you can leave a voicemail, send an email, and we'll actually tackle your question uh, when we're all together on our Q&A episodes, or we might be able to fit your question in with a guest if it fits with the interview topic. So please go to launchuniversity.com forward slash question. We created this podcast so that you could go from go getter to difference maker and that's how we can be a part of that with you so thank you for listening to this episode of the launch university podcast and we will hopefully have you join us next time take care thanks for listening to the launch university podcast we hope it's helped you move from go getter to difference maker be sure to subscribe on itunes and leave a review for more helpful resources visit launchuniversity.com